Good morning, and welcome to Grace Community Church. My name is David. I'm on staff here. It's my pleasure to welcome you this morning. As you make your way to your seat, let's look at the bulletin together. When we gather on Sunday mornings, we worship uh, in a lot of different ways. Uh, God is certainly most pleased with our hearts when we come together. So what you do when we come to this space on Sunday mornings is not as important as uh, the heart that produces what you do. So I want to just remind you as you come on Sundays, uh, regardless of what the environment might be in the car on the way here, um, find ways to uh, center yourself and prepare yourself, even when we do announcement time on Sunday mornings. Uh, We want to celebrate what God is doing and has done in the community when we uh, have our times of announcement. So upcoming are a lot of ways that uh, we'll celebrate uh, and worship together as a church that aren't just on Sunday morning. One of those ways is uh, through... Let's see. Next week is Discovery Lunch. So right after church on Sunday, if you are new here, if you've been here a few weeks um, and would like to kind of get to know uh, our leadership, so our elders and our staff, we will be hosting a lunch and we'd love for you to come. And so if you wouldn't mind, though, giving us a heads up of that, there's a sign-up sheet in the welcome room for that Discovery Lunch. And that is on the 25th, right after church. Uh, We'd love for you to stay and, and break bread with us. They'll probably literally be breaking pizza with us uh, on that Sunday after church. So uh, please stay if you are um, visiting or new and want to get to know us a little bit better. In addition to that discovery lunch, we do have um, the following week uh, is the first week of Grace Connection. Uh, we'll be running a second round of Grace Connection uh, for those who are interested in learning more and having those deeper conversations about who we are as Grace Community Church, uh, why we do the things that we do, what we believe about the things we believe. Um, all of those things are worked out in the course of Grace Connection, and it's also a prerequisite if you want to be uh, a covenant member here. So uh, please, again, mark your calendars for that if you're not yet uh, a member and want to be, or if you want to get into those conversations and find out more about Grace Community Church and what God is doing here. Uh, Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. from the 1st through the 22nd. I also want to point out that on the 8th, uh, we'll be having a time of baptism. And so if you have not yet followed the Lord's command to be baptized in response to a profession of faith, then please uh, take advantage of this time. Uh, So speak to Pastor Brad and let him know, and that way we can worship with you as you uh, follow the Lord's command to be baptized. And so that is on November 8th. I want to draw your attention to that. There's probably a few more things in the bulletin, but that's why we print it out so that you can take it with you and follow up on those things. Uh, So let's go ahead and stand together and prepare our hearts to sing together. God, help us to believe the things that we've sung together this morning. If we even indeed profess that Christ is Lord, then we've been buried with him and raised with him, and it is him who lives in and through us. And not only as individuals who have professed, but also as a church body, we are the body of Christ. And so it is he who lives in and through us. I pray that we would seek to love one another as you have called us to love and as you have modeled for us. And in that way, remind one another that it's Christ who lives in us. We thank you that you have given us the opportunity to gather this morning and to worship you through song and and prayer and preaching and fellowship and giving and all the things that we do, what we do for the glory of God. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. My name is Jim McLaughlin. I'm an elder here, and I have the uh, privilege of introducing our newest elder, 
Neil Manning. If Neil would come down to the front, we're going to ordain Neil this morning, so I invite all active and inactive elders to come down front to help us do that. Neil has been uh, affirmed by the congregation, and it's uh, God's instruction to us to ordain him at this time. So, Neil, if you would kneel. Happens all the time. Yes. <laughs> we'll lay hands on Neil and pray for him now. Father, we are thankful that you have uh, instructed us as your people to obey your scriptures, and you have told us to appoint elders in each church. And your people have chosen Neil through your leading and guidance. We know that he has been chosen by you, not us. We pray, Lord, that you will minister to him and through him. We pray that you will fill him afresh with your Holy Spirit, that you will give him wisdom, that you will enable him to, to live the life uh, that you instruct us to live in Scripture. We pray that you will use him mightily for your glory, not his. And we pray that uh, you will be pleased with Neil as an elder and that you will be pleased with this body for choosing him to do so. We thank you for your guidance and your care for us and your, your, your watch over us as a body. And we thank you for Neil Manning. We ask you to be with his family, especially be with Myra as his helpmate, and enable her to be a true helpmate. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you can see, our prayer focus, I can barely see it, but I sort of see it, <laughs> All right, the elders, uh, we, we, and you see with the, the request that we would have you pray for each of the elders of this body, uh, strong marriages and godly lives, and uh, wisdom and unity. We pray not only for unity that will be maintained among the elders, but that it will be maintained among us as God's family. Uh, so let's go to a time of prayer, and I'll lead us. Father God, we come to you because your word tells us that you want to hear from us, and you tell us that you care about us, and that you actually hear us when we come to you in the name of Jesus. So we come to you in that name. We praise you. You have called us into your family. You have saved us in spite of us. You have forgiven us of our sin in spite of our continuing to sin. You have washed us afresh with the blood of Christ. We thank you and praise you for that. We thank you that you see us through that blood. And through that blood, we are perfect. We are righteous. You have given us the privilege of being your children. May we live that way. And Lord, we do pray for our elders. We pray that you will give each elder wisdom. We pray that you will protect the marriage of each elder. We pray that you will protect the marriage of each person in this room. We pray, Lord, that you will protect the unity of the body. 
and the unity of the, of the elders of this church. We thank you that you have chosen men who want to please you and serve you. May we continue to have that desire. Watch over us. Take care of us. And as we come to the time of giving a little bit of that that you have given to us, may we give with, jo with joy and may we give generously because we give to you that which you have already given to us. Use it wisely. Use it to advance your kingdom and make others come to know who your son Jesus really is. For we pray in his mighty, holy, perfect name. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm glad that you are here this morning at Grace Community Church. Um, if it's your first time, uh, thank you for checking it out and seeing if this is indeed the place where the Lord might lead you and your family to worship with us on a more consistent basis. Wanted to mention uh, for those of you who are part of the Grace family, whether you're a member or not, these little sheets that you have in, in your bulletin, we'll have this for the next week or two in addition to today. Uh, we really need to update our information. Even if your information hasn't changed in 20 years, it would be helpful for us if you would put this in. I think there's a place, I don't see the place for bank account numbers and passwords, but if you would please include all of that information as well. And Keisha will make sure it's kept very safe. Yeah. <laughs> Keisha and security, that just goes hand in hand. Yeah. Well, I'm going to guess that I am not alone in saying that fall is my favorite time of the year. I, I, I know that a lot of you, I just love the oranges and the reds and the yellows and even the shimmering green that seems to come out in, in the fall. I was just thinking the other day, uh, like those who are never satisfied, it would be nice if fall color peak would last at, at its fullest point. We lived in the mountains. It's like it's a period of a couple of weeks max, but there's one day, one day that's better than any other. <clears throat> you can almost see it change during the... Wouldn't it be great if that lasted for about a month? I mean, just a month of that spectacular beauty. Maybe one of the reasons that I like fall so much is that it means winter is coming on. And as odd as it may sound, when the weather gets cold, I come alive. I just, I do. I just, when it's a crisp morning, I love it. The older I get, I know it's going to be more challenging for that to be the case. My feet get cold in mid-September and stay that way until, you know, mid-May. Uh, but so... Uh, truth is, I, I just love the variety of the seasons in our little corner of the universe. I would hate to live somewhere where the weather is... All, people say, oh, this is why people live in Florida. I'm like, not me. Not me. That's not why I want to... Where I want to live. Don't you love, in fact, oh, just God's very design of his creation? There are so many ways that people... Um, enjoy the beauty of God's creation and what is meaningful to me might not be meaningful to you and vice versa. If you're a biologist or a botanist, I'm going to imagine that you really appreciate God's design for life. There's a fixed order and yet an ever-changing process in how things work. 
I mean, you don't need to be an astronomer to appreciate the skies and the, the heavens and the universe. But if you are an astronomer, oh my, it is spectacular to you. Alan Box and I were talking this past week about well, just the different interests that people have and how God gives some people one interest and others another. And it's instructive for us to think about, even on a more specific, in a specific way, about the ways that God has designed His church. There are so many working parts, parts that have to go together in a, order for us to fr- function properly. The church is, like so much of God's creation, a fixed order that is dynamic, and alive, an organism that is able to function in time and space, wherever you put it. Over the centuries, since the death of Christ, it functions the same way, even though it's very different than it was even just a hundred years ago. Even so, the more things change, the more they stay the same, of course. You know, when you've been used to life being good most of the time. It's difficult to make sense of life when things don't go according to script. You know the script. You've been told it all your life. I know you do because most of us in this room grew up in similar circumstances. If you work hard in school, you study hard, then you'll be able to get a good paying job or you'll be able to continue your education and you can be whatever you want to be. If you work hard, there'll be a payoff. You can accomplish anything, almost anything in life. It really has little to do with when or where you're born. Rather, it's up to you. Somewhere along the way, though, life tends to go off that script. I mean, someone very close to you dies, maybe, or you don't get into the school that you work toward all your life, or someone misrepresents you at work or on, on social media and in your social network and All of a sudden, you're on the outs. Life that was so good is in a moment different and difficult. I was thinking about the songs this morning. I was thinking, is it true that Christ means that much to me? Or to all the other things that interest and occupy My time and my focus, do those things mean more? What if truly Christ was all I had? I love the music this morning. I'm so grateful for everyone. Josh, that was beautiful. Worship team, thank you for causing us to reflect deeply on God's love. By the way, David said something about unity our unity with Christ and in baptism how that is pictured I was just thinking about how it ties in with the message but thinking about even more so a great interpretation principle uh, interpretation principle in scripture when you're when you're trying to figure out what does this mean start with this thought it's not always this way but it almost always is God is the active agent in the story it changes the way You look at everything. When you look at the parables, it's not, here's a little moral story. And occasionally it is. Here's a moral, if you will do this, then this will occur. But most of the time, God is the agent, active agent, who is causing things to be the way that they are. 
And so my union with Christ always begins with him. That's where we're, we're, we're not only there today, but over the next three weeks. And that helps also when I recognize that God is sovereign over everything that happens to me. And when life doesn't make sense, it makes sense to God. Even if it doesn't make sense to me, it makes sense to him. You know what brings everything into focus? Well, you know the answer. Jesus. When you believe that Jesus died for you, life is good. Now everything is looking up in your life. The Lord is answering prayers. You have a new family that believes in you and who cares for you. People finally that you can trust. And, and, and people are still people. And the world is still broken. And if anything... You feel the pain much more intensely now because in Christ, everything's supposed to work out, right? And, and I saw it happen. Everything got turned around and the Lord just had me on easy street. And it was a joyful. I wasn't trying to sin. I wasn't doing... I'm, I'm just on uh, the this, this street of rejoicing, city of joy. And now the pain is even more intense because my expectations of life are even higher than they were before I met Christ. And so this hurts even worse. If you can identify with any of that at all, then you have a slight hint of what the men and women felt who first heard the sermon that we know as Hebrews. Thankfully, our circumstances are not as dire as were theirs. And you may think, oh, mine is pretty bad. I, I, I get that. And I know some of you have had diagnoses and you've lost people and, and, and you've lost friends, lifelong friends and family members have turned. I know things are, are difficult. Uh, none of us are facing it in exactly the same way, though. The possibility that we would die very soon for our faith. I don't mean like, oh yeah, you never know when a crazy is going to start shooting and ask you if you're a Christian. I'm talking about the government may very well come and break up this meeting and drag us off and put us on a cross. So even though, thankfully, our circumstances aren't as dire as theirs were, God's word speaks just as powerfully to us As it did to them. You know why? Fixed order. Dynamic circumstances. Fixed order. And yet. God. Constantly moves to meet. The challenges. Life changes. But God never does. Jesus Christ. The same yesterday. Today. And forever. Understanding God's order. Is quite helpful. When life. Doesn't make sense. He has a design. And even though chaos. Seems to be the order of the day. God is sovereign and God is good. Our text today is Hebrews 2 verses 5 to 9. There is great encouragement in these verses that follow the severe warning that we absorbed last week. Next Sunday, David is going to be preaching from uh, Hebrews 2.12 that recalls Psalm 22 and all that uh, God said about Jesus and about him moving to Um, 
save us. And then the following week, I'm going to be finishing Hebrews 2 in verses 10 to 18, Lord willing. Taking in the power, powerful truths about how Jesus' humanity ministered us, uh, ministers to us in our needs. Our text today is verses 5 through 9, chapter 2. Would you please stand for the reading of Scripture? For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who, for a little while, was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death. For everyone. Let's pray. Our Father, we're grateful for the reality that Jesus' death means life for us. And we're grateful for the reality when death and decay seem to be all around us. Jesus' life lives and works inside of us and gives us the hope that all will be as it was intended to be. Lord, we trust you, but we need to understand you. We recognize that because you have explained so much about yourself and about the ways you work. So may we absorb the truth of our text. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated. I love the way that our author says it's been testified somewhere. It's kind of like, you know, it seems like I recall God saying, and then he quotes perfectly Psalm chapter 8 from the Septuagint, of course, not from our version of the Old Testament, but from the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament. Um, I, I'm, I'm certain that our author knew exactly where it was. I mean, this guy was gifted Whoever wrote Hebrews was gifted with rhetorical skills in addition to being a world-class theologian. When I spoke earlier of the beauty of God's created order, one of the things that I had in mind was sort of the different ways that we view the world. Some people are quite literal. If you say things, they're going to take it very literally. And you say, wait, 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 I didn't mean that. See, this is a good thing and a bad thing for me that Allison is very literal. Um, it gets me in trouble occasionally, but man, I can have a lot of fun with it too, you know. I mean, so I'll say things, she'll say, really? And then, of course, when she reverses it on me, I'm, I have to see what she has to put up with all the time. Um, if, if you are literal in the way that you think, it, it tends to come across in the ways that you communicate. You say exactly what you mean, and that's, that's that. There are places in Scripture that are exactly like that. Some of the speakers, just straightforward, here is the way it is. 
Others of us are more nuanced and subtle. We think more philosophically about things. And that may lead to a deeper understanding of a particular issue that's being said, but it can also lead to great confusion. And so, is it better to be more literal in the way that you perceive the world, or is it better to think more philosophically about life? Well, it's ever how you're wired, of course. That's the best way, isn't it? God designed each of us the way that he did for a reason, and we err... That word that is always interesting to me, that's the way it's pronounced. Err is what I want to say. We err when we think that everyone else should think just like us. Everyone else should have the same priorities we have and be interested in the same things we are interested in. In other words, we all err. Scripture has plenty of examples of both styles of learning and communication and they all originate from the Lord. No matter how you are wired, your understanding of some of the text in Scripture are going to be really clear to you while others are more difficult. If you tend to think more literally, then Hebrews is probably going to be a bit more challenging to you than some of the other books might be. That's not to say that some books of Scripture are to be preferred above others or that there's anything wrong with the way that God wired you. It does mean, though, you need to understand this guy's writing differently than other writers of Scripture. We need each other. We need prophets who proclaim the word boldly where there's no question about (coughs) what is being said. And then we need compassionate, forgiving souls. But above all, we need love for one another and appreciation for God's created order, the diversity that's in the body of Christ And in God's created order of the universe. Just think of our our differences like you would think about brilliant fall colors on a beautiful day. Beautiful leaves that are dying. Man, analogies always break down. No, wait a minute. The leaves are dying, but there's life in the tree. Analogy rescued. Actually, the analogy about death and that which is alive and life in that which is dying works in our text when you examine it more carefully, which leads you further back still to creation and to God, God's plan for mankind. And His plan for mankind will ultimately be fulfilled at the end of the present age. If you're paying attention a while ago when we We're reading Hebrews 2, 5 through 9. You were aware that the author was invoking an Old Testament text to make a New Testament point to show how that God is fulfilling His plan in Jesus. So let's read Psalm 8, the anchor for our point that the author was making to the people for whom life was making no sense at all. So here here are a group of people and life makes no sense. They're going to kill us for, for being in Jesus. And wouldn't it just be easier to keep worshiping Yahweh over here with our Jewish brothers and sisters? Isn't it better to be safe about keeping the law rather than to put all of your hope in Jesus? And to say, Jesus was God, I need to hedge my bets. Life wasn't making sense for these people and... Here's what the author invokes. Psalm 8, even though he quotes a little piece of it, the readers are expected to know all of it. 
Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set the glory, your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. To still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you were mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. For you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beast of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You get a pretty good sense of David's wonder, don't you? Just imagine what life was like him before he became king, before he started writing all of his psalms. He probably had a bunch of these already written. Life as a shepherd had its advantages for understanding God. Don't you know that he would lie out some nights on the grass or the rocks, you know, of Palestine and and see the shooting stars? No lights anywhere to be bothered with, just, just there in nature. And, and, and the beast that came against his sheep would have gladly had him for lunch as well if God had not established that man be the head of creation, the created order, and, and have the wits to defeat an animal much larger than himself, much more deadly than other people might be when you're prepared for them. David surely thought back to Genesis 1 where the account of God's creation of man was a perfect state accompanied by promises of man's place of preeminence in his created order over as a vice regent over all of creation. God said to man, tend the entire creation. You are my representative as ruler over the earth. All of this changed, of course, at the fall. And yet, David found hope in God's original design. Even though he knew the world was broken, he believed that it would be restored to its original design. And he knew that God was in control of everything that happened to him. David had a lot of bad stuff in his life. A lot of bad things happened to him. Some of it was of his own making. And a lot of it, the stuff that came at him for which he had no responsibility whatsoever. Just bad stuff happened to him. Does that sound at all like your life? A lot of things have gone badly that you had nothing to do with and other things that have gone badly, uh, yeah, you did. Most likely though, You want to pass off the stuff that you have caused. Because that's just the way of the world today. But it's really the way of man always. We want to pass responsibility along. And we make our first mistake about making sense of life. We cannot know God unless we acknowledge who He says that we are. 
and to say, I am responsible. But thankfully, in Christ, I don't have to pay. Not at the levels that affect eternity. So when our Hebrews author invokes Psalm 8, is he using it differently than David did? I mean, remember, Old Testament prophecies. Remember this about Old Testament prophecies. A lot of times they, they predicted something that was to be very near, and then they prophesied something that would happen that would be even greater in the distant future. And, and even though David is not really prophesying anything about what would happen, the Lord takes those words that he used about about affirming what God thinks of the crown of his creation, mankind. And he says through the writer of Hebrews, no, this was intended to be so much more. And now as we look back, we see it perfectly, although nobody knew. Nobody knew Really, that Jesus was going to use his, his favorite designation of who he was was Son of Man. From Daniel chapter 7. And, and when you, if, you put, if you had been able to piece it all together, you would have seen this may be the Messiah. And, and, and somehow in, in, <clears throat> in Daniel 7, when, when it talks about the Son of Man coming, you know that this is a divine being. I hope I've got that right. I'm just pulling that off the top of my head. Could be Daniel 9. I think it's Daniel 7. Where he talks about the Son of Man coming in glory. And you know that it's a divine being. And yet, uh, Jewish scholars just couldn't make sense of it. So they just kind of ignored it. Is, there, is this a divine being? Well, yes, next question. Uh, let's, let's don't talk about that too much. Because I can't make sense of it. Well, in the New Testament, it's all being pieced together. What is man or the Son of Man? That you care for him. In Psalm 8, David clearly invokes God's love for his creation. More specifically, God's love for his chosen people. But the meaning is greater. Even so, God's love for mankind is seen. Even though he's talking about Jesus ultimately, God's love for us is seen That he sent Jesus to redeem some people and restore all creation to its original intent in his time. Our Hebrews preacher was saying to the persecuted church, You're deeply, deeply loved by God who created you to reign over all the world. Life makes no sense in this world in which we all live because... It doesn't function according to God's design, original design. Yet somehow, in all of this mess that's going on around us, God is sovereign. He knows exactly what he's doing. I've already pointed out, the writer would say, that Jesus is superior to all of creation. We think of angels in this incredibly lofty position. And yes, Jesus is over all of that. He's superior to all of creation. And he rules over all. But frankly, we don't see it exactly that way. We don't see him ruling over all in the way that we think of him ruling. You know, we we think of God as kind of like a, wait till your father gets home, young man, you know, young lady. 
and, and Father never comes. Well, Father is going to come. There is some connection there that would be appropriate. So, the writer is saying, one day though, it's going to all make sense because Jesus died to set things right. He died, in fact, for you. And even though you faced a prospect of death because of your insistence that Jesus is Lord, and He's our only hope of relating to God, <coughs> you're willing to proclaim your faith to the end. Even so, please know this, God loves you in the extreme. And one day, All is going to be just like it was designed to be. Now, not all of what I said was in the text, and certainly it wasn't said that way, but or it's not said that way in the rest, but it is all in Hebrews. And you're going to especially see that when we come to chapter 11. You know what one of the saddest things about people's understanding of Hebrews 11 is? That they have not taken the time to understand Hebrews 1 through 10. When you recognize at the levels that are proclaimed in the first 10 chapters of Hebrews, when you've gone through four of the five warning passages, when you hear that Jesus died for you and the explanation is better in Hebrews than it is anywhere in all of Scripture, it's more detailed. Let's put it that way. It's not better. It's just more detailed. Piece by piece by piece. Why is it that Jesus had to... Who is Jesus? What did he do? Why did he have to do it? It's spelled out in these first 10 chapters of Hebrews. And when you recognize that, you'll say, okay, now we're ready to talk about the men and women of faith at Hebrews 11. Probably not the best description to call them the heroes of faith. Remember, Sally Lloyd-Jones, there's only one hero in Scripture. And see, when you want, again, when you've absorbed all of the first 10 chapters, then it's not going to surprise you that some people who were of faith had miraculous deliverance from horrible circumstances, and others <clears throat> in their circumstances died horrible deaths. But it really didn't matter because nobody in this chapter was looking for this life to be exactly like it ought to be, they were looking for something better. It won't surprise you when you realize why Jesus had to die the death that he did. That Jacob and Samson and Jephthah are listed as men of faith. Clearly God sees things differently than we do. Well, when that day comes... When God restores creation to its original intention, it's going to be even greater than it was originally because of our appreciation for redemption. God's love for His children is seen in so many ways. But it is especially seen in Jesus' condescension from heaven to earth. To become a man and for a time to submit to a place lower than the angels and to die at the hands of the ones he created and the ones for whom he came. 
While Psalm 8 was speaking of God's love for mankind, the author of Hebrews understands that it was ultimately pointing to Jesus' humiliation and his subsequent exaltation. For the first time in Hebrews, I don't know if you've been paying attention, if you've thought about this, but this is the first time in Hebrews Jesus' name is, is invoked. It's the first time and, and, and an appropriate time. In the focus on Jesus' humanity and death, It's important that we know that God's plans and purposes are perfectly on time and in order regardless of what we're facing. I love the way the author says Jesus tasted death for everyone. He tasted death. It was a Semitic idiom. It was used in the day, but it impacts us greatly, does it, when you see Jesus taste of death. Look, if you know anything about the cross, if you know anything about death by crucifixion, if you know anything about Jesus taking the cup of God's wrath that was righteously intended for all men and women because of our sin, then you would not consider this a taste of death. I mean, maybe if you have endured chemo treatments, or if you've climbed Mount Everest, you've had a taste of death. But Jesus not only endured unimaginable physical suffering, he drank the cup of God's wrath. Over the next two weeks, we're going to begin to better understand what it means that Jesus became human, making him eligible to die in our place, and why, therefore, he is worthy of our worship, and how all of that helps us in the temptations that we face day by day. Temptations... To walk away from Jesus or at the very least temptations to live as though we don't belong to him. Pretty amazing. Creator, redeemer, lover of our souls that we have. For today, it's enough to draw three points of application from our text. Beginning with, first of all, accept your place and role in God's created order. Scripture could not be clearer that God loves us, that he loves mankind. This may be difficult for you to believe sometimes because both of your own sin and the sin of others against you. If if you were abused or mistreated badly as a child, then accepting that God loves you may be more difficult than it would be for others. I, I may have mentioned this just a few weeks. I know I mentioned that I read this book in the Garden of the Beast about Nazi Germany in the 30s. I'm not sure if I mentioned this next thing or not. But one of the people who was in Nazi Germany at that time said that the only creatures that were happy were horses and dogs because they were protected at such high levels. And then he also went on to say, whoever it was that said that, not Eric Larson necessarily, but whoever, whomever he was quoting, said, when a society protects animals at a higher level than it protects human life, it's in trouble. It's, it's really in trouble. In Genesis 1, God says, you have rule over all the earth. And I've given every plant for your food. After the flood, Jesus, or God said to Noah, I've given animals for you. All animals to eat. And then his law, 
brought it back a little bit. And then Peter said, I'm not eating that kind of animal, even though you told me to, God, because I know your law says. And the Lord said, everything I've created is for you. Over, listen, over and over in Scripture, we see God's love for us. But when humans mistreat other humans in the horrible ways that we do, did you see what I did there? Going from third person to first person. When those humans mistreat other humans the way that we do, It's because we fail to understand and accept our role in God's created order. Look, you don't need me to tell you for the 25th or 30th time this year that this is a broken and fallen world and you and I, we're broken and fallen people except that you do need to be reminded of it. Over and over, good things became bad things. Ezra The first Pharisee loved the word, kept the Sabbath. It was a good thing. He was doing exactly. But people got mixed up and they got into the form. And the form became more important than the person to whom it was pointing. And they abused the law. It's a good thing to have one church in the entire world. But when power begins to be concentrated so narrowly... You get more focused on ritual than you do the reality of a relationship with Jesus. And so the Catholic Church patterns in life over and over and over in history. We are a broken and fallen people. God's design for us was different than than it has become. The original Design and intention was different than it's become. But there's never been a moment, not a second, when God was out of control of his creation. Here's the thing. There is no plan B in God's... the way he deals with with all of everything. The temptation is when life doesn't make sense, To say, well, then I've got a problem with God. And that's a problem. We wrestle with it. Job, when we went through Job last year, you know. Job is is arguing with God. And I've heard people say that the lesson of Job is that you, God's big enough to handle your arguments. And I would reply to that. Yes, but you better put your big boy britches on when you're gonna if you're gonna do that. And you'll probably come back to the place, well, you know what? I should have trusted you all along. And you know what else? God loves us in our wayward actions and our thinking and in our desperate heartbreak. God loves us desperately, but He's in perfect control of his emotions and everything that happens. This text reminds us, as so many other New Testament texts do, that for now, we live with this already not yet tension. Already, Jesus rules the universe. He's over everything. But we don't yet see that. Does it make it any less true? 
No. Even when people do you wrong, even when people want to kill you because you believe in Him. Here's the truth. God loves the highest order of His creation to the point that He made us in His image. And when we sinned, God loved us so much that He became one of us and died so that we might have life. So that we might not be destroyed along with the fallen universe. What is your place in God's created order? You are the object of God's love that is so great. We will see in these next few weeks that God is not. Jesus is not ashamed to call you brother or sister. That's pretty awesome love. That's what Hebrews is going to tell us over the next few weeks. And when you accept God's love for you, then you're ready to put this next application into practice. Believe that God's timing is perfect. I don't know how to believe. Go back to that principle of interpretation. God is always the active agent. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It means something very specific about the spread of the gospel, but it also very much talks about how our faith is connected to God's Word. If your faith is weak, get in the Word. Stay in the Word. Soak. Live there. The writer of Hebrews, while writing about the most serious matters imaginable, stated truth in ways that provoke deep and encouraging reflection. May feel like your world is out of control and that you got it wrong about Jesus. But you know what? Regardless of your feelings, Jesus rules over the universe. Just because you don't see it that way doesn't mean that Jesus is not in control. And just because things don't go exactly like you thought they would go, maybe that wasn't your script about working hard in school and then what, but you've got a script. And when life goes off that script, it doesn't mean that Jesus is out of control. Somewhere it was stated that this was always a part of God's plan. At just the right time, we learn from Psalm 8 and then it's Galatians 3, 4, chapter 4. In the fullness of time, God sent His Son for us. And we're coming into that season. And you know what? Really, the incarnation doesn't mean much apart from the cross because it's all part of God's design. But the incarnation is a time of celebration, the time when we think about Jesus becoming one of us and the baby born in the most unimaginable. And in fact, I've already got it designed, even though it's, it's going to be the first Sunday in November. I want us at the end of the End of the message to sing, Hark the Herald Angel Sings. But sing because it's such a phenomenal truth about the second Adam that we're going to learn about in the last part of this chapter. At just the right time, God promised that the Messiah would set things right. And even though we don't see all the wrongs righted just yet, God is in the control. He's in his he is in control of the cal- calendar as well as the events that fill it. If we 
could see if our eyes were open and we'd start to go to write something in the calendar and it was, oh, that's already there. <laughs> you know, oh, oh, well. I... One of the themes a writer has repeatedly stated or alluded to is that God's timing is not always our timing. Right? Over and over this comes up. Eve, I'm going to give you a man. Oh, it's Cain. No, it's not Cain. David, I'm going to make a king. Oh, it's Solomon. No, it's not Solomon. Uh, Jesus comes at just the right time. And oh, these are the last days. Well, okay, if last days... And we're all saying, we all want the Lord to return. His timing is perfect. It's going to be okay if He comes this week or if He comes 10,000 years from now. 10 million years from now. We don't know. But I can see... Yes, but it's, not as, it's never been as clear as people thought it was. So it's kind of always like, it's when, when you say God's will for your life is best seen in retrospect, that doesn't encourage you very much. You want, you want to go into a trance and the Lord to say, okay, I know where I'm supposed to do now. I know what I'm supposed to do, where I'm supposed to go. I know who I'm supposed to speak to. That life doesn't work that way. If it did... We it it just like it just be look if you if any time you prayed in Jesus name you may as and it came true you may as well be saying abracadabra it, to pray in Jesus name is to pray according to the will of God and according in accordance with the things that Jesus taught and some of the things that He taught just didn't make sense to us not then not now well I've gone to preach it I better get back to my my script here. We're called, no matter what our circumstances, to persevere by faith. Believing that God knows what He's doing and that Jesus has already run, won. Rather than considering our lives in light of this temporary portion of our eternal existence that began at conception. Even when we believe... We're called to endure suffering, which is the focus of the last point. View your suffering through Jesus' death. This is not going to be an answer that's going to satisfy unbelievers when they say, if God is such a God of love, how come all these horrible things happen? But when you look at the cross, again, singing, I will run to the cross. I will run to where my only hope of salvation and my only hope of making sense of life lies in the cross. Then our suffering pales in comparison to the suffering He endured. We want to ask, why is it that our prayers for a healthy baby were answered? By God, God answered our prayers, allowing our child to be born with special needs. Why has my prayer for a job gone unanswered for so long? I'm, I'm trying to follow the script. I'm, I work hard. I've, I've put out resumes. I've knocked on doors. Why won't the Lord answer? Why can I not shake this addiction that just absolutely owns me? I hate it. If these and similar questions plague you, especially in the night when you'd rather be sleeping, 
Consider your suffering in view of the cross. George Guthrie warns the believer to engage suffering in view of the cross rather than against the backdrop of American culture. He says, quote, We have become committed to relieving the pain behind our problems rather than using our pain to wrestle with the character and purposes of God. Feeling better has become more important than finding God. And worse, we assume that people who find God always feel better. Who would have thought that analgesics and anesthesia would work against us so much? Will God allow us to suffer? In view of the cross, yes, he will. Will he use Our suffering for good, for our good. In view of the cross, absolutely. If we live by faith in the one who tasted death for us. Somewhere it has been said that as we run this race, we should look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's read again our text, Hebrews 2, 5 through 9. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him, Jesus, he will say a little bit later, for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now I'm going to, I'll admit, I acknowledge In putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. But at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But you know what we do see? We see him, Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. And by the way, Almost every time the writer here mentions death, he's talking about the suffering of death and Jesus' death specifically. But over and over, over in Scripture, you see glory and suffering combined. God's got a plan. It doesn't show up first thing, but it'll show eventually. If you keep your eyes on Jesus, we see Him, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Let's stand if you would and let's pray. Please bow your heads and let's pray. Father, we're going to acknowledge right off the bat that there is So much about this life we don't understand. And even reading your word, we receive comfort. We receive even direction. But the brokenness of this place is still here. Which is why we need to be reminded over and over that Jesus absorbed the full penalty and pain of death for us. And even though we experience it in the teeniest bite, 
<laughs> he, he, he drank the cup of suffering. And for those who believe that Jesus died for them and they acknowledge that their sin separated them from God and we desperately need Jesus because of who we are. Then by faith, Lord, you receive us into your family and all of your intentions at creation for mankind will be restored one day when Jesus not only rules from heaven, but he visibly rules this earth. So a God like this is worthy of our praise. It is so awesome that we can't wrap our minds around it. We look to Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. For our benediction, we go to Philippians. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And all God's people said,